Evening, Charlie. Evening. On this week's uh, Ohio Sports Blog podcast, we're going to be discussing the all-star selections with between with the Indians and the Reds, and also summer league basketball. And the third segment will be the Cleveland Browns. So for the first the segment for the Indians, the Indians got five all-stars. From Jose Ramirez is going to start at third base. Francisco Lindor and Michael Brantley are going to be uh, reserves. And then Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber are going to be pitchers. I don't know about you, but I'm ecstatic. I figured the first four guys would get it, but I'm over the oh, – I'm ecstatic about Bauer making it. I believe he deserves it, and I'm, I'm really happy that he made the team. Uh, you know what? I am super impressed with this team because this is the second year in a row that we're sending five guys to the All-Star game. And it's a testament to a guy like Trevor Bauer, who has worked continuously hard every year to keep getting better and has stuck to his way of doing things. And to see now that he is going to his first All-Star game and he's doing it as a Cleveland Indian. Yes, it's, 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 that's awesome. Just as like you said, it says a ton about Trevor Bauer from where he came in 2016 and he cut his hand up with the drone to he had a good year last year to now he's having an all-star year this year. Um, he's second in – or no, he's four, or fifth in ER, in overall ERA in the um, AL. He's got eight wins. Um, the guy's just pitching pretty well. He's, he's going to have two more starts this – um, he's starting Tuesday, and then he'll start against the Yankees on the weekend. So he'll have two starts to try to get double digits before the All-Star break, which would be awesome for uh, Bauer. He would be, he'd be the, um, the second pitcher on staff to get the double-digit wins. And honestly, I could see a scenario where he pitches the first inning in game one of the All-Star game because he's been that good this year. Oh, I, I agree. I believe we have two – Viable candidates to start the uh, All-Star game in Washington, D.C. this year. Um, going with that, um, let's talk a little bit, since we are the Ohio Sports Blog, let's talk a little bit about um, the National League. The Cincinnati Reds also got three um, three uh, selections. They're all reserves. Joey Votto is be a reserve first baseman. Scooter Gannett, a reserve second baseman, and Eugenio Suarez would be a reserve third baseman. Um, the Reds started off a little rough this year, but they have come back and had a pretty hot end of the first half, which is pretty impressive for them. i tell you what, though. I hate to break all A's fan, or Reds fans' hearts here, um, but I don't think that's going to last with the Reds. They don't have the pitching um, the team is still too young. They're still a rebuilding team, but this is still impressive, nonetheless, to get three guys to the All Star to the All Star game. One in a young third baseman, Eugenio Suarez, who's absolutely crushing the ball. Joey Votto, who had a slow start this year and has come on as of late, and then Scooter Jeanette, who is absolutely hitting out of his mind. Yes, and he's Jeanette is going to be big. I've read his name on a number of different articles about him being on the trading block for the for the Reds. And I even read a scenario where he comes to the Indians to play second base for us. I mean, he's got 14 homers. 
58 RBIs. I mean, he can plug right in to the Indians lineup at second base and be a productive guy for us. Um, yeah. You know, some of that, that, though, I think is his home ballpark. He plays in Great American Ballpark, which is a notoriously hitter-friendly park. So my worry, my only worry with acquiring Jeanette would be, you know, is is he for real? Is this production for real? Because he hasn't shown kind of power in the past. He's given, he's shown good production, but he hasn't shown production like this in the past, and that would be my only worry with Jeanette. Yeah, I mean, if he stuck him in his lineup, he'd be batting behind Frankie, behind uh, Ramirez, behind Brantley, um, Edwin, Yonder. I mean, he'd be he'd fitting there like six or seven. I mean, he's hitting 329, so I mean, that'd be a viable. It's way better than our second baseman's hitting right now. So, Yeah, absolutely. Kipnis has been god-awful this year. Yes, he struggled. And um, putting him in, in about the six or seven spot, hitting behind those guys or even in between them, uh, depending on where he would fit, that could – I could he'd see a lot of fastballs, a lot of strikes for him to hit. So he'd have the opportunity to yeah. continue to be pretty good. He would also potentially require less of a, a return than a guy like Machado would, and he get he would give us some control through 2019. Yeah. Um, so we wouldn't, on top of not having to give up an arm and a leg to get him, we would at least have at least one more season of control with him to, you know, maybe if we didn't win it this year, which I see as a high possibility, to try again next year. Yes, yes, and then – that's true. He wouldn't Machado. The only problem I see with Machado is when he go back to third, go back to third base and ship Ramirez. That's a lot of moving parts. Um, if we ended up getting him, because we're pretty. I mean, we're set at shortstop. They're talking about putting his Frankie's banner up there to replace LeBron's on that building. So, um, yeah, that that needs to happen. I agree with you, but I don't think Frankie's not moving shortstop. So if we acquired Machado. He'd have to go to third. Ramirez would have to go to second, and I just feel like that's a lot of, a lot of moving parts. And plus, like you said, we'd have to mortgage, probably mortgage the farm to get him because he's Machado's having a career year. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with some of that, but I also think that hey, Machado wants to win, and he's already positioned himself well for next year's free agency as a guy who will get looks as a shortstop because he's proven that he can play shortstop. But, I mean, if he wants to go from a losing team like the Orioles to a winning team like the Indians, this is completely hypothetical. This is by no means a real scenario. But, I mean, he, I think he would have no problem switching to third base because the dude just likes to play baseball and he likes to win, and he would be a complete X-factor. Now, I'm not saying that I want us to get him because, like you said, we'd have to mortgage the farm, mortgage our future to get him. And we'd only be getting him for a half of the year. And I'm, I'm not sure if I want the Indians to do that, even if it would lead to a World Series title. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like – I'd rather – more likely to get Scooter Gannett than – if it was me, I'd rather get Scooter than I would Manny just because of that, that fact of that. You'd have to get up, give up a whole lot more to get Manny than you would Scooter. But um, yeah, going back to the All Star game, I mean, I mean Ramirez, Jose Ramirez. There's nobody who deserves to start more than Jose Ramirez. The year he's having, um, Ramirez over 20 homers, 50 some RBIs, high 50s RBIs. The guy's just 
number three hitter. In a, Fifty plus. Yeah, number three hitter 50. in our lineup is just solid game in, game out. Yeah, exactly. Fifty plus extra base hits. Mm-hmm. Jose Ramirez has been a man on a mission this year. He took last year's numbers and he one up himself, as did Frankie Lindor. Um, and honestly, I'm I could. Machado's a good choice to start, a decent choice to start over him, but you can make a case that Lindor should be the starting shortstop in this game. And it's sad that um, we that he didn't get enough votes to be the starting shortstop in this game. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Lindor's got 23 homers. Um, I think Machado's just having a career year. And that's, I mean, that's the reason he's starting over Lindor, I believe. I mean, that's what it took to, to knock Lindor out of being a starter because, I mean, overall he's without a doubt. If you're taking, a, I think if you're taking a poll of most most baseball people, Frankie Lindor is one of the be- he's the best shortstop in the American League. Um, I mean, this is yeah, this is fan without a doubt. Yeah, this is fan voting, so I mean that's a that's one of the bad parts. But I'm glad that he got well, and he was going to get picked as a reserve, so he that's he's going to be an All Star. Well, and, you know, that's one of my problems with the current voting system. Um, I I don't think it should just be left up to the fans. And, you know, I'm saying that as a fan, but I think you need to split this up. I think a percentage should go to the fans to vote. Then you have the, the managers vote. Then you have the players vote. And then maybe even the media where you have to provide your credentials to vote, give their vote, and then you average all that together, and then that the total number of votes that from all of those will come out could um, give you the number for who should be starting and who's a reserve. I mean, because Frankie Lindor, he's on pace for forty home runs. When's the last time you you saw you heard that about an Indian shortstop? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean. I'm looking at it right now. Ramirez has 24, and then we have our right side of the, or left side of the infield has 47 home runs right now. I mean, that's unbelievable for those two guys to lead. You know, they're fourth and fifth in the American League in home runs right now. And um, yeah, Lindor, they're both on pace for 40 plus home runs, a bunch of RBIs. Um, yeah, I mean, Lindor's and- Lindor's a great. I mean, he's he's up there. It just happens to be. I think it you know, happened in the American League. It was just a great crop of shortstops in the American League. And, I mean, you can make an argument for any of them. You can make an argument for Lindor, for Machado, and for Carlos Correa to start the game. And it's just – I mean, it's just a great crop of shortstops in the American League right now. Yeah. Well, and the Indians offense, though they have been inconsistent this year when they have been – going it's because of guys like Jose and Frankie and you know what that's that's I think where the Indians need to make some adjustments in the second half is they need to fill some of those holes such as like second base and um their need that honest to god they need somebody another consistent bat in that outfield because we've experienced so many injuries only consistently we've had this year is Michael Brantley. I mean, and he's experienced a resurgence, but you know, what's how, how are we going to know that Brantley's going to stay healthy? Cause he hasn't proven to be a, a, a player that can stay healthy the last few years. So I think the Indians really have to get some help. Um, they really have to play the trade market. Um, 
because the second half is going to be huge for this ball club if we want to make a run at the World Series. Yes, I agree. We have to find, like you said, the second base hole. Um, Kitten has played pretty well defensively, but he's got he's only batting about two twelve right now, and we need to find another bat in that outfield. Um, I mean, we had Bradley Zimmer, now he's hurt. We had Ronnie Chisnell, now he's hurt. Dyer, he's off and on. He's inconsistent. Rajay Davis can run, but he's just bad. Doesn't have a whole lot of pop in it. So. Um, yeah, well, and when's when's the last time Lonnie Chisenhall was actually healthy? I mean, uh, because when he is healthy, he hits, but he's not. He, he's got glass calves, man. Mm-hmm. He's got glass calves. Feels like he's only played about ten games this year. Exactly, and um, you know it sucks because the guy the guy has so much talent, and he is so he's re- he's so good defensively in the outfield, but his bat has come along these last few years. But it's a shame that he hasn't been able to stay on the field. Yes, the one guy though I do like at the bottom, like, is Jan Gomes. Is he's had a great, he's had a pretty good resurgence, pretty good second half of the first half of the year. Um, you know, hitting with a little bit of power, driving the ball, to driving runs in. Um, hopefully, Jan can keep that going through the um, through the second half of the year for us and get us a little consistency there at the bottom of the lineup. Well, and you know, catching is such a crapshoot all over. You honestly could have made a case for Jan Gomes as an all-star this year. And I'm a little surprised that he didn't get a nod, at least as a backup. I mean, if it wasn't for, like, Wilson Ramos of the Tampa Bay Rays producing offensively at elite levels from the catching position, I think you could seriously be looking at six Indians in the all-star game with Jan Gomes being behind the plate because where his value is mostly is always been his defense. Um, he's great with the staff. He, you cannot steal on Jan Gomes and he, he's, he's great at blocking the ball behind the plate, but you're right. He's received, he's had quite the resurgent this year. He's looking more like the yawn that we saw when we first got him, when he first came over, um, my only thing with Jan is his lack of patience and his tendency to swing at more pitches, whereas Roberto Perez it has more patience, but obviously that has not translated. And the Indians aren't really suffering too bad without it, as Jan Gomes have had, has had some really big hits so far this year. Yes, um, and he also catches the best pitcher in the game, Corey Kluber. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm really surprised. Looking at the roster here, the American League roster, they have two two catchers, which surprised me. I thought they'd carry a third catcher just because of the All-Star game. And, um, you know, that's these guys are going to have to catch at least four innings apiece. And if it goes to, um, you know, if it goes farther than that, that's a lot of wear on the catchers, especially for an All-Star game. It surprised me a little <laughs> bit they didn't, they didn't carry a third catcher. Who's the second catcher? Salvador Perez from the Royals. Are you kidding me? No, yeah, um, Gary Sanchez didn't even make it from the Yankees. That well, Gary Sanchez was batting under two hundred. Yeah, he um, was. He was the second leading. He was the second vote getter for uh, in the American League, though. That that's a crime because Salvador, Salvador Perez, him and Jan Gomes are cut from the same cloth hitting wise. Mm-hmm. But Salvador Perez is barely hitting above the man the Mendoza line. And the fact that he gets in the All-Star game, I mean, I guess the Royal fans came together on it. And I guess, what, that's probably their only mandatory representative, too. That is wrong, I mean, so, yes. 
so and sadly with baseball you have every team has to have a representative so maybe that's why um and you i don't know if you can really make a case for any other royals in an all-star game but it, it's sad though that young Gomes is going to suffer because because of that because you know with the dearth of production at catcher legitimately he could have made he made a case for a bid to be an all-star this year yes he, he made a late run at being an all-star and i think he, i know he finished in the top five of voting um yeah you're right but i mean i'll tell you what i think Jan will take that world series ring in november over a all-star game which i'm kind of glad our catches are getting a couple of days off here after uh after this week it'll help yeah i <clears throat> Oh, I agree completely. I mean, and we're all we're a huge second half team, always have been, and I think business is going to pick up in the second half. And you know, I don't know if, how much you followed me on Twitter today, Charlie, but I was getting into I was getting in, into it with an insecure Indian fan, and you know what? It's just one of the things that annoys me about this fan base, especially ever since <clears throat> LeBron left, is people are quick to doubt the Indians, are quick to sleep on them. And they don't, they won't, they don't want to believe because I guess this woe is me thing because LeBron's not there anymore. So they have no confidence and they don't see what I'm seeing. And that's a absolutely dominant rotation. And for somebody to say where we needed to get, go get Jacob DeGrom from the Mets, we have no need for another starter. We have four, arguably five top of the rotation guys right now with Kluber, who we haven't even seen the best of Carrasco, who looked pretty darn good coming off a freak injury. Um, Trevor Barrow, who's easily been our ace so far this year, Mike Clevenger, who has extremely similar numbers to one Corey Kluber. I'm not saying he is Corey Kluber by any means and that he's going to win a Cy Young like Corey Kluber. I'm saying that the numbers are very similar and they're both they're similar type workers. And then the young kid and Shane Bieber. I mean, that kid came emerged this year. I mean, th- th- nobody was talking about him coming into the season about him coming up and he has just outworked everybody and pushed himself to the league. Yeah, he he's done a great job. He's 4 and 1. He suffered his first loss today, but it was 6 it was a 6 nothing loss to the A's. Um, obviously they didn't get him any run support, but, um, yeah, yeah, he's done a tremendous job. He's, he's gotten us a couple of times where we've lost a couple of games in a row and then we got to him and he kind of shook her. He was kind of the stopper for the losing streak. There wasn't a losing streak because he came in and pitched a heck of a ball game and we ended up winning. But yeah, that's a nice guy to have there at the, the back end of your rotation. Our rotation is like you said, Kluber, two times Cy Young winner, Trevor Bowers throwing the ball well. He's on a hot streak. He's going to have double. I would. I'm going to say it right now. He's going to have double digit wins by the All Star break. Um, Cookie Carrasco. He seems to have come back from an injury. Uh, pitched pretty well Friday night. And then, uh, like you said, Clevenger has been. I mean, Clevenger's got a complete game shutout already this year, and he's pitched pretty well. And then Shane Bieber's four and one. So exactly. Yeah, our starting rotation is is going to keep us in games, and hopefully, we got enough offense and. Uh, going forward, that we can get on a good roll, winning some ball yeah. games, and put this uh, put the division away and, and roll into the playoffs. 
Exactly. Oh, and you know, like this this guy who suggested getting Degrom, I was like, "Are you kidding me? It would cost us. We it would it would cost the same the same as Machado to be to acquire a guy like Degrom when we have no need. We have needs elsewhere. We have needs. We need another setup guy in the bullpen. Which honestly, I don't think we need to trade for because we'll have Andrew Miller coming back here soon. Um, but we have a hole at second base. We have holes in the outfield. There are consistency issues with this offense that need addressed more so than a, a, a starting pitcher because our starting pitcher is already good enough to carry us to a World Series title. We just need to find some consistency with this offense. Yes, and I'm, I'm with you. That When Andrew Miller comes back, because I like the way they're doing it now, he's coming back. They're going to let him come back at his own pace. And what what really – kind of encourages me it's not a back issue it's not an arm issue for a pitcher i think it was a knee and a hamstring so yep. he gets back he gets healthy that's like almost that's like acquiring a guy at the trade deadline because he exactly has, he hasn't pitched for so you know when he comes in when he in 2016 when he came in he was lights out it was over for one or two innings however long he had to go so if he can get back to that form i think and cody allen at the back of the bullpen and it looked like until today, or until the other day, Neil Perez and Oliver, Neil Ramirez and Oliver Perez have been throwing the ball pretty well. So, we yeah, get him back, you know, our bullpen is going to be all right. Yeah, definitely. I think there will be one to be reckoned with. And I feel like we get when we, once we get Andrew Miller back with the emergences of Oliver Perez and Neil Ramirez that we don't have to rush him back into that role. And he can kind of sit in that 2016 role. I think you said it in the last pod where um, Terry can just bring him in at any point that he thinks is necessary. Um, and hopefully with help, hopefully Indians will have better luck health this time around with the starting rotation and they won't have to use them like they did in 2016. Cause he was our saving grace in 2016. Let's just be real. Him, Corey Kluber, uh, were our saving graces in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually, eventually injuries just came back to bite us. So hopefully we can get this guy healthy. Thankfully it is not an arm. We get his knee right and maybe he'll be pitching like the Andrew Miller that we're used to seeing. Yes, I agree. I totally agree. I think the Indians are, are going to be prepared for a big second half. And the other thing that's really nice is that the division is going to be put away early. So they're going to have a chance to work some things out, you know, be able to rest guys going into the into uh, September and October. So come playoff time, we're ready to roll and guys are ready to roll and um, everything's going good for them. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's another one of my problems with this, with um, some of these fans who um, only watch the Indians when it's convenient for them when the Indians are winning is, they don't see what we see. They don't see the hard work. They don't see that, um, that yeah, they play in a weak division, but you know what? That I don't think that's going to have a, a big bearing on the possibility of them playing better teams in the postseason because if they get it figured out against weaker teams, it doesn't matter. If they got it figured out, then they're going to click against any team. That's the type of team they are. That's the type of team they've always been. That's the type of team they will be. And you know, it's it just it makes me so mad when other team when other fans are like, "Oh, the Indians suck. The offense sucks." And I'm like, "No, they don't suck. They have four guys, four 
five, arguably five, with Yonder Alonso producing pretty good, producing pretty pretty darn good this season. They just have some holes that need filled and experience some inconsistency. Um, they've seemingly fixed the bullpen problem, and the bullpen could get better with the with Andrew Miller coming back. And the rotation is looking better than ever. And, you know, this is a team that can win the World Series. And people are sleeping on us. It's, I mean, some of our some of our fellow guys here at Ohio Sports Blog are sleeping on the Indians. They say they're not, but they're sleeping on us. They really are. And you know what? I think part of that is their excitement for their Reds right now. But sorry to burst their bubbles. The Reds aren't going to keep doing this because the Reds don't have the starting rotation to continue to do this. Yeah, you can hit in this league, but you need pitching too. Pitching wins championships. And that's the best thing the Indians have, Indians have going for them is we're led by our starting pitchers, and we know when we throw any all five of those guys out, we're going to have a chance to win the game. And that takes a lot of pressure off our offense. Got to score seven, eight runs where they can go out. If they get, they get four runs for Corey Kluber, it's game over. Same with Trevor Thanks. Bauer and – the other guys were going to be right in the ball in the ball game, so it gives us a chance to win the game. And a starting a starting pitching, good pitching always beats good hitting every day. So I'm yeah, really, I'm, really I'm happy with where our starting pitching's at. And as an X factor, we have who I consider the best manager in the league, and Terry Francona, easily the best manager in the American League, possibly the major leagues, honestly. Um, but you're right, though, and you know what. Cookie, Cookie Carrasco. I mean, he got you saw he got some run support in that A's game, and he did have some control problems in that game, which maybe that was some of the, him shaking off some of the rust. But for the most part, dude was dealing in that game, and that's that should scare a lot of people that Carrasco can pitch like that after coming off a freak injury where he was hit in the elbow by a baseball off somebody's bat. That should. The Indians' rotation should scare people. The rotation of domination is what I like to call them. It's what they were called, I think, a couple years ago in 2016 when this whole run started with them. And the the stats speak for themselves. I mean, this they they do dominate the competition. They are they can go out and give you six plus innings any given night when we need it. So we don't have to rely so heavily on our bullpen because of that. Yeah, they, they've been, we have some guys that are in the top. Um, before Carrasco got hurt, uh, we have three guys in the top ten in the American League in innings pitched with Kluber and Bauer. The other two, um, yeah, they're going out giving us six, seven quality innings um, and, you know, and keeping us in ball games and, and helping us win games. And it's great and- when you're starting pitching is doing that. Yeah, and you know what? The staff strikes guys out. They do. That they, I think they led the American League in strikeouts, I believe, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't see that that changing this year. Um, legitimately, maybe if Crass didn't get hurt, and honestly, I could still see it if he has a good enough second half. We could have at least three guys with two hundred plus strikeouts. Now, strikeouts aren't everything. Another thing is, is uh, do you know what war is, Charlie? Oh, yeah, wins above replacement. Yeah, so that's how much wins a player is, how many wins he, mm. he, is, he, get, he gives to his team. 
you know him, Corey Kluber and Mike Clevenger are only a point two difference in that department? Oh, yeah, Clevenger's been pitching well. Yeah, so Kluber has two point set. His WAR is two point seven right now, so he's given our team two point seven wins, and we're not even seeing the best of Corey Kluber right now. No. Um, I think I think he's 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 slowed down a little bit. But I think in the second half, he'll, business will pick up, as uh, old uh, Jim Ross would say. Um, yes. But Mike Clevenger, his war is 2.5. How amazing is that to have from your – to have a point two difference between your ace and your number four starter? Oh, that's, 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 that's consistency. They've been pitching consistently well all year. Exactly. And that, show, that tells me that – Clevenger and the rest of this rotation is bound to improve in the second half. Like I keep saying in this podcast, we just need some consistency in offense. It's killing me watching this offense where one night we're good and then another night we can't put up anything like we did today. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, we, sad because we waste so many of our guys' efforts when that happens. Oh, my goodness. Friday, was it Friday, Saturday night? Corey Clover, they got beat in extra innings. Clover went seven innings, gave up no runs. They ended up getting beat six to three in eleven innings. Yep. Yeah, that was that was that was a little frustrating to watch that game. Oh, I can I can believe it. I was kind of glad that I wasn't watching that game because I got the updates on the game to my watch and my phone, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Yes. I was. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, part of that was our bullpen giving up. The the lead, but you know the other part of that was where the where was the offense? Yeah, we only scored three uh, runs, and um, you, you got to give them another run, give, give them a couple more runs, and that thing's over. On most days, you would think three runs are enough with Corey Kluber, but with the inconsistencies we've experienced this year with our bullpen and with our offense, mm-hmm. three runs honestly isn't enough at that at that point at that point in the season. Thankfully, it's still early; it's still the first half. And this team is a very strong second half player. Yes. And uh, going back to your war statistic, the Indians have two of the top four in the American League batters in war. Ramirez is 5.6. He's second behind Mike Trout. And oh, Frankie, Frankie Lindor is 5.3. He's fourth behind Trout, Ramirez, and Mookie Betts. Oh, that's incredible. I didn't even know that. Yes. And that, that just shows you how much those two guys mean to the team. Um, by chance, you know what um, Edwin Encarnacion's is? Uh, Edwin, Edwin, Edwin. Um, I don't see him on the list here. Let me go. That's okay. Um, Let me, uh, Edwin. Okay. Edwin is – Edwin's point five. Point five. What? That's bound to pick up in the second half. I mean, yeah. he's he's hitting he's hit only two thirty, but the dude's still been hitting home runs and driving in key runs, especially when our offense has been hot this year. Edwin has been a key cog in that, and mm-hmm. then they add in Yonder Alonso. They'll get some in in club help, um, but we need to get somebody in here that can help without maybe mortgaging the future, um, because um, you know we're a team that doesn't pay a whole lot in salary, although Dolan, Larry Dolan has um, shattered that perspective the last couple of years, paying out a total of $129 million. We're a team that very much develops our stars. 
And, um, you know, I, I always see that as the best five way. And I, I hate, I would hate to sacrifice the future and it not turn out for a championship. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm 100% with you. And I like the things that they've done, even when they went and got Andrew Miller, um, they were still were able to. We still had control of him for the two, for three, for three years. So, yeah, I'm not exactly. Fan, I'm not a big fan of the runner player guy. Uh, never seems to really work out in the team's favor. So, um, yeah, I like going out and getting those guys. You still have control of for one or two years. You're not renting them for a half a year. Then they're going to bolt for free agency. So, I mean, look what happened with Aroldis Chapman with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. The Cubs gave up Glaber Torres. And they gave up ten years of Glaber Torres, and yeah, it's it it ended up being worth it because a World Series championship means more than ten years plus in the major leagues. But that's still a huge loss, despite that. Oh, I yeah. mean, yeah, that's that's. Uh, and the Cubs got lucky. I mean, Cubs. If we don't, Crasco and Salazar aren't, aren't hurt before the playoffs. Um, that World that Series thing, was ours. Yeah, that thing doesn't even go seven games. So yeah, you know what? And honestly, too, that night if. Francona would have took Shaw out because I was yeah I was literally screaming at the TV that night. Brian Shaw did not have it. Although I miss Brian Shaw right now, Brian Shaw did not have it. There's just sometimes when you when the guy goes in and you see him pitch and you can just see that he doesn't have it and he didn't have it that night. And Francona was sticking with him and it was the one time that I disagreed with him and it back and it ended up paying for us. We ended up giving he ended up giving up the lead and we lost sadly and it broke all of our hearts i know i was devastated by that game seven loss after fighting so much to come back and tie the game yes yes it was a game seven i don't a game will live it lives in there with the uh the drive and the fumble and everything else 95 and 97 oh geez yes 95 97 Jose Mesa, just all kind of heartbreak. I'm just thankful that I wasn't old enough to care about baseball during those two times that I don't remember that heartbreak, but I feel it. I feel it with that 2016 World Series. It it was a crime, honestly. And that, you know what? It wasn't just Brian Shaw, though. That rain killed our momentum in that game. Yeah, when the, well, when that rain when that rain started, we, I was like, "Oh God, this is not good." And then we had to wait, and then we came back, and then we lost. Yeah, and well, honestly, I mean, we were up three one. We should have closed out one of those games beforehand, but yeah, you know, that's all in the past. So now we got we still we still got a good core guy still there. I mean, most of that team's still here, so just yep. gotta keep keep going yep. along, and hopefully, big things this year. And we got a great chance to win the World Series this year with this group. I mean, it's this is the last time this this full-on group will be together. But we we have a goodest chance as any team. We can hit with the big boys. We can pitch with the good boy with the big boys. You know, we we have it. We just need to make a few adjustments with the roster and tinker here or there. And you know, even if it isn't acquiring somebody, maybe it's bringing up a guy like Francisco Mejia. And letting him get some at bats, like in the outfield, because I know he's been playing some outfield down there in AAA because the Indians are trying to figure out a way to kind of get his bat in lineup because they are satisfied with their catching situation. Yeah, that would be that'd be key. That'd be like, I mean, if we could bring him up because he does, he hits the ball pretty well, 
and uh, bring him up to be a middle of the, middle of the order guy, bring a little more consistency to the six seven spot, maybe follow up Edwin and um, Yonder and driving some of those key runs we're leaving on base. That would be yeah. uh, I would be I'd be like acquiring a guy to trade the trade deadline. So, exactly, you know. Exactly. And, you know, those young guys always seem to give the Indians a little bit of boost that they need. I mean, back in 07, it was his dribble Cabrera. A few years ago, it was Frankie Lindor, and now it's Frankie Lindor and Jose Ramirez, you know. And they, they, they give us that boost, and they give the offense some confidence. And Francisco Mejia is, has been absolutely on a tear down in AAA. And I could definitely see him getting a call up if the Indians don't acquire somebody else at some point in the second half. And I'm hoping sooner rather than later, because this kid needs to be in the major league lineup because his bat is major league ready. Yeah. And I think with their lead, they're nine and a half games up now. Um, I suspect they will be double digit lead by the all-star break, which is next weekend. Um, yeah. I suspect with their lead in the division, they're going to be able to do some things like bring up Mejia early, give him about a month of bats to see how he does uh, play out in right field or wherever they plan on playing him. I assume it's right field. I don't think they're going to stick him in center. But, um, yeah, just and, give him a month, a month and a half to play, and it's not going to kill us because we have such a big lead and our, our starting pitching is so good that, you know, it's he's going to be able to see if he can play or not before we go into the playoffs and see if we need to do something. So, Acquiring that lead in the first half is going to enable them to do things going forward that, you know, that will be able to help us in the long run. Exactly. That's the luxury of playing in a weak division. I mean, it could be a curse, too, because I know there are some people out there who look at us at playing in a weak division and saying, oh, well, they're not going to do that against the big boys, which is absolutely untrue. But that is the luxury of playing in a weak division such as the AL Central, where we can trust our rotation, lean on them, and uh, we could do like you said and bring up Mejia for like a month, month and a half and see what this kid's got and still hold a division lead because everybody else in the AL Central is just absolute hot garbage. I mean, White Sox, Royals, Tigers, all rebuilding. Twins, they're supposed to be competing with us, but they they can't hit to save their lives outside of Eddie Rosario and Eduardo Escobar. Yeah, I think everybody in the division is uh, differential. Run differential is negative besides us. Yeah, We're, everybody, everybody's a dumpster fire in the yeah, AL Central except the Indians. Yes, which is, I mean, which is good. I mean, and like we're, it's gonna. It does, I don't believe in baseball; it matters as much. Like it does, if you're playing good, your division is good. It doesn't matter as much going forward because your pitchers are your pitchers, your hitters are your hitters. You know, I mean, you're still facing major league pitching. And the Indians' strongest part of their team is their pitching, and it doesn't matter who's up there. They dominated everybody they played as far as pitching goes. So Exactly. Uh, and we won 102 games last year. 102. In yeah. an American League with the young Yankees who are rising, the Red Sox who have been – a picturesque of consistency and their young players have come on. And with the Houston Astros, with all of their talent, we won 102 games last year and we won 22 in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that tells me this team, despite the fact that they play in a weak division, they can win against anybody. 
Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. The Indians are going to – it'll be interesting. It's going to be an interesting second half. They have seven games to finish out the uh, first half of the season. they got three coming up with the Ohio Cup. they got the Cincinnati Reds coming to town Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They finish up with a four-game set against the Yankees, which I believe is going to give us momentum uh, going into the second half. Agreed. Uh, they can go – they can have a winning record. In those last seven games, five and two or something like that, it'll be uh, a lot of momentum going into the All-Star break and into the second half to propel them, give them a double-digit lead, and then propel into the uh, playoffs. Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to keep saying it until I say it into existence. We have to find consistency in the offense. I will continue to say it until it happens. Uh, I just I cannot see this team going far if they don't find that consistency. But I think you're right. I think this these last few games can provide a great amount of momentum. And we're at home. We pl- we've been playing our best so far at home this year. This is a great outlook. And hey, we could also see Jose Ramirez competing the home run derby. When's the last time you saw a guy like Jose Ramirez competing the home run derby? I know it's usually a guy like Stanton or Judge, one of the big guys. But yeah, I can't. Yeah, Jose. I'd like to see Jose uh, compete in the home run derby. I mean, if nothing else, it gives brings a little more spotlight to the Indians. Um, you know, here's our best guy going to be in the home run derby, and uh, hopefully, I mean, he's gonna, he's got the power to to win it. I mean, he's third or fourth in home runs right now, and exactly. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I think Indian Cleveland fans have been supporting the Indians as of late. I don't know if you've seen. You've been, I, I'm pretty sure you've been watching the games. Indians have had some packed houses here in this A series since they but, returned home. Yeah, it's been a nice weekend weather-wise, and yeah, they returned home, and it, I, I expect the attendance to still be up for these last seven games. I mean, the Reds, Reds are going to be a natural team for the attendance to be up because, um, and then also the Yankees, um, it's going to be. Uh, cocktail so yeah i mean and now's the time you know now's the time july you know going into august and september is when uh when you really start getting baseball fever because the game the season's so long and just you know it drags so long through and, you know we had the Cavs in the finals and now you know now the indians are starting to get noticed more by cleveland fans going in and then july august you'll get back thousands and into the playoffs yeah, and, you know, part of that is the LeBron effect. LeBron leaving L.A., I mean, leaving for L.A., you know, that's kind of left the Indians as the most viable team in Cleveland right now. So people are seem to be coming back to Cleveland, which is good. We're rallying together with around the Indians, and that they need that. These guys need that. Indians fans need to remember this. These guys will live and die by the fan, you know. They will they will put up or shut up when you when you come out and watch them. So get out there and watch them guys because this is a team that can do big things. Oh yeah, it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be exciting. Especially we're a young team. We got young guys who feed off the crowd and uh, it helps at home field. I mean just look at it. We're twenty eight and fifteen at home. So I mean uh, the guys feed off the home crowd and um yeah, come out, support the tribe, um, get there, pull them through. Let's have a big second half. Let's go roll into the playoffs, and let's get this done this year. Let's have a big parade come November. Um, and, yeah, let's get that World Series ring, the one that they've been waiting for. 
Exactly, and let's let's worry about football and all that later on. Exactly. Let's get the drive drive through and into the start of the Brown season, and let's have a good fall. Exactly. All right. And we're back. Okay, transitioning uh, into Summer League Basketball has started for the Cavs. And number one pick, eighth pick overall, Colin Sexton uh, had a pretty impressive debut the other night against the Bulls, didn't he? I'd say, I'd say so. Um, he, they didn't shoot that well, um, and that led to him not having any assists. But um, I believe they shot 35% from the field and, excuse me, um, 30% from beyond the arc. So, guys, his teammates weren't shooting very well. But he looked great. Um, he's, I think we got a real potential superstar with Colin Sexton so far. Nice. Um, yeah, he's a he's. I mean, he's a pretty competitive. He's point guard too, isn't he? Um, he's not going to be. He's not a shoot first point guard. No, no, he's not. Um, he's the type of point guard that is going to give you everything he got. He can he can score. He can play defense. He can assist, and apparently he can rebound too because he grabbed seven boards in that first game in the summer league. Now I get it. This is summer league. But you know what? Either way, it's still impressive. Yes, I mean, yeah. Anytime the guard can, you know, a guard can grab seven boards, it's pretty, pretty good rebounding guard, um, which we haven't had a lot of out of our guards lately. Um, talk about. Uh, there's some other guys on that team that are pretty, uh, pretty intriguing. I guess would be the word to see if they can make the, the, the roster come regular season. Yeah, and you know what. What what summer league has told me so far in two games is that these young guys need to play. Like, yeah, they're doing good. They're doing pretty good right now, and that's because it's summer league. Let's just at the end of the day remember this is summer league. This isn't training camp. This isn't preseason. This isn't the regular season. They these young guys are going to need playing time come season come um, the regular regular season time in October November. Um, Ante Zizic, he is one of the pieces that we got back in the Boston trade. And honestly, he's, he's been dominant. And um, I think it is, it should be his time to shine, you know, coming this season. And that, that might be hard to do with Kevin Love there right now. But you know what? It's somebody that I think needs to get real playing time. And then Jetty, Jetty Osmond. Oh, my God. That kid has looked, looked really good, too. I mean, we knew that he had the talent. And he's, you know, we saw what he did for us when he got playing time last year. He brings a boundless amount of energy to this team. And um, it, it's contagious. It's almost, it's, it's like that Anderson Varejao effect that we used to get from him, where he'd come on the court and just give this team a whole new set of en- energy. And then they would just take off at that point. And I, I Jetty Osmond can be that and more, I feel like, at this point. Nice. Yeah, those young guys, they need a – this summer league is good for them developing their skills. And um, like you said, it's still summer league, but at least they're playing and playing together and the young guys are getting a good look. And, um, you know, coming season, I mean, the Cavs – I don't think anybody's expecting the Cavs to blow the doors off. So they should be able to play a bunch of guys 
um, during the regular season, such as yeah. uh, Chetty and uh, Zizek. And, you know, I firmly expect to see uh, Sexton, if not the sixth man, he maybe in the starting lineup most nights. But Yeah. Well, and you know what? I ran a poll on Ohio Sports Blog. I said, do you expect the Cavs to tank? And a lot of people answered yes. And I was a little – uh, I was a little baffled by that. I mean, I get it. No LeBron, you know, but the East is incredibly weak still. Um, I mean, realistically, we could still compete for a playoff spot. I mean, and with the way – with the young players that we have, if we give them the playing time, honest to God, I think we could have a rebuild similar to that of the Boston Celtics where we are still competing, still getting young guys that can help this team in the future. Um, it's just about them getting the playing time. Start with that. And um, one of those young guys who I believe in is uh, Billy Preston, former five-star Kansas recruit. I mean, that that kid, he's looked pretty darn good too. Um, that could prove to be a steal signing. The Cavs signed him to a two-way contract, which means he'll play for the Cavs this year or he'll play in for their G League team, the Canton Charge. Oh, nice! That's a good, it's a good pickup by them. Seems like a safe um, bet for them because the guy obviously can play. He's a five-star recruit from one that was going to Kansas. He obviously can play a little bit. So Cavs seem yeah. to have got a guy they can build with, and I think the Cavs are in a better position if they're competing um, with their guys that they have, like Kevin Love, uh, Tristan, Jr. If they're competing and winning, and those guys are playing well and getting their stock up. That at the trade deadline next February, we we can maybe stock some, you know, trade to Kevin Love for a pick and a young player, maybe Jr. for a young player. I mean, maybe somebody needs a, a rim protector and an offensive rebounder and Tristan for a young player. Yeah. You know, you can get more young players out of those guys because I don't think tanking. We still we're still going to be on the hook for those guys for a couple of years. So tanking yeah. tanking really wouldn't do us a whole lot of good. But having no. those guys having those guys get their stock up and being get their trade value up would help us out if we get we can unload them. Yeah, and, and with the new rules sta- stating where t- their t- tanking teams are going to be penalized, tanking would hurt us more than anything at this point. I mean, and I, I was reading an article from, uh, I think it was Amika Hoops, where um, Tristan Thompson was saying he sees this as an opportunity where LeBron's gone to become a superstar. Now, I... I don't see that happening with Tristan, but let's just say, for instance, that did happen. That immensely increases his value to the team or to a, a potential trade partner. I mean, who, it could up the return that we could potentially get for him if we were to, if that was to happen, and we were to still trade him. Yes, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's the that's the the best scenario I think for the Cavs this coming year would be to have their veteran guys, the guys with the big contracts, play well you know, up their trade value and be able to unload them for, you know, a pick or a younger younger player um, or even an expiring contract, something we can open up our cap space with. Um, so, yeah, the, the answer wouldn't be to tank because, like you said, the new rules, it's just, it's just not a good thing. Plus, we're still on the hook for those guys' contracts next year, so our cap space yep. is still going to be limited. Um, Ex- so, yeah. Exactly. So, for them to up their trade value for us would be the best case scenario and then to unload them for, you know, something that would benefit us. Exactly. Something that will benefit us in the future. Cause I mean, it's, 
we 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 got we started going young, but we need we need to complete the chains and we need to get some of these guys elsewhere. I mean, God love them. They helped us win a championship, but this team is it was badly in need of a re a rebuild and. LeBron leaving for LA just signals that it's definitely time to get this team on a consistency track. And you know what? I could see a scenario where four years, um, if the rebuild goes as planned, four years down the road, his contract's up the Lakers. LeBron comes back and does finish his career with Cleveland, but he doesn't have to carry us because we built a good young core. I mean, we still have guys like Rodney Hood, who's, um, he still, as much as, as much grief as he got, he looked good in the finals, and he's a he was a guy that people saw potentially as a uh, potential twenty point a game scorer. And you know what? Honestly, if he could get some, if if he plays like he did in the finals against the Warriors, I could still see that from him down the road. Yes, he's um, got he's got an immense amount of talent, and he's long, athletic. Um, he can defend a little bit. Um, he can go he, up and get his own shot. Yeah, and like you said, the number one thing is he's a young guy. He's not an old guy we're, we're dumping a ton of cash into. And if he doesn't work out, we're going to be on the hook for him also. So, I mean, he's a, I, I like Rodney Hood a lot. I do too. And as far as I know, he's still in the Cavs land. From everything I'm reading, he is still in the Cavs land. I don't foresee him getting any big money offers, but you never know what some – team might try and do to just drive up the Cavs cap space because of the last four years of them running the East. But you know what? Um, well, I, I think it's a very good chance that we're going to have Rodney back. Um, we're going to – we'll probably have Larry Nance back, who was amazing when he came over. Um, he gave us what Tristan stopped giving us for a while, and then Tristan started giving us that again. Um, but he's definitely somebody that we can build the future around and somebody who has actually a better outside shot than Tristan does. I mean, he was encouraged to shoot jumpers when he came to the Cavs. I'm not saying that he's going to be a jump shooting spread big man, but I'm saying that he um, has shown more growth in that department than Tristan Thompson. And then you also have a guy like Jordan Clarkson, who for – all intents and purposes is just a straight straight up scorer. And yeah, he, he made me cringe sometime in the playoffs and I just wish he would have stopped shooting the ball. But you know what? He's a young guy and you know, a lot of times they just need to keep on shooting to um, get the hang of things and to get going. Cause he's a vo- what he is, is he's a volume scorer. So he's very much somebody, if he, if he gets hot, he's very much somebody you want the ball in his hands. And when he's cold, it's somebody that you don't want the ball in his hand. So it's hit or miss. And, you know, he's potentially a, a great uh, bench piece down the road and could be a decent starter if given starters minutes, at least at, at like shooting guard, where he's not tasked with handling the ball all the time. And I, I don't think that's going to be a problem with Colin Sexton there as the point guard. Yeah, I'm, I like I like all those young guys we have. Um, the biggest hurdle they have to overcome, and I think it's going to be easy – or not easy, but it's going to make it easier with the East being as bad as they are. I mean, the Cavs could potentially be in the 6th, 7 range again next year. Um, Honest and, to God, I can see a scenario where they're a third seed. Yeah, I mean, it's not, nothing – the East is so bad out of outside of Boston and Philadelphia – and I mean, 
Toronto's going to be okay too. So I think those three yeah. are the three of the class of the of the East. Then it's everybody else. I mean, the Cavs yeah. aren't. It isn't that big of a big of a uh, spread between number four and number and the rest of the conference. So the Cavs yeah. would be up there in the four, five, six area, and then that could help us with you know unloading Kevin Love's salary, unloading Jr., yeah. unloading Tristan, um, and that helps us in the long run getting younger and being builder, and then. Also, building a team in the Eastern Conference helps us because when we build with the younger guys, um, that's also have- going to help us out because they're going to be able to win right away because the East is so bad. Exactly. And you, when, when, what you're saying about Toronto, you got to remember something with Toronto. They just replaced their coach. They yeah, replaced. Hey, they replaced they, Coach of the Year, Dwayne Casey. Yeah, a guy who won 60 games. Now, that. I I agree. I get it. The regular season doesn't mean much, but you still want sixty games in the NBA. Yeah. That's not something to sniff at. And yeah, he choked against the Cavs every time he played them, but that's because Toronto doesn't didn't have the they they didn't have LeBron. That's just straight up what it was. They didn't have LeBron. They had DeMar DeRozan, who is not a three point shooter. He is a mid range guy, and for all intents and purposes. Mid-range guys do not work in this league nowadays. And then they had Kyle Lowry, and then they had some good rotation depth, but they didn't have a, a guy like LeBron that they could just rely on in those deep situations like the Cavs could. Um, so they're making a coaching change. And then you also have the potential for um, Detroit to improve too because, you know, look, they, they hired Dwayne Casey. I mean, and they got Blake, Blake Griffin. I mean, let me tell you, that's a team that we could look out for, but that's also a team that could fall flat on its face. just depends on um, what side of the uh, coin you fall on there. And then you also have the Indiana Pacers, who were definitely an improved team, and they took us to seven games. Um, can they do it again, though? Can Victor Oladipo do it again now that he is going to be a focal point of defenses and stuff like that. So, yeah, the East does make it easier for the Cavs to win and still potentially compete for the playoffs, but it also makes it easy for the Cavs to trust their young guys and to let them grow as a team and offensively and defensively. Yes, the Cavs definitely benefit from being in the East and all those teams you mentioned. um, I do see the the Pistons – making a huge jump next year, probably making the playoffs because, um, you know, they acquired Blake Griffin late in the year last year. And then they also, uh, you know, Stan Van Gundy's been there before. Um, so they're, they're, Detroit's going to make a big jump. And like you said, Indiana, who knows if uh, Old Depot is for real or not. Now that he's going to be – he's the number one player on that team and people are going to be focused on him to see how he develops in the future and what becomes of that. Yeah, and you know what? Their head coach is Nate McMillan, and um, he's – I wouldn't say he's a great head coach. i say he's a good head coach. Um, and because there was – yeah, he he got – he pushed us to seven games because he made some good decisions, but he also made some questionable decisions. And, you know, there there was a history of that when he was in Portland, and that's why he got replaced when he was in Portland and stuff like that. So, you know – Good coaching doesn't win in this league. Great coaching wins in this league. And, you know, the Celtics are proof of that. The Warriors, for all, as much as it pains me to say it, 
a lot of that is Steve Kerr. I mean, before Steve Kerr came there, they had Mark Jackson, and they had the same team, and then Steve Kerr came there with the same team and turned them into a championship team. So, I mean, great coach, elite coaching wins in this league. And so, you know, I don't think these other Eastern teams, other than with the exception of Boston and Philly, have an elite coach. Um, the Cavs could potentially have it. I don't know with Ty Lue, and it's going to get di- – it's going to be a lot different without LeBron there. We're going to see what kind of coach Ty Lue is and what kind of decisions he makes with his rotation. I mean, with us shifting more to a youth, is Ty Lue going to trust those young players? You know, is he going to play them? Is he going to ride or die with them? You know? Yeah. What, what, that's a huge question. What are we going to get from Ty Lue this season? I mean, and if I, if we don't see anything from him, you know, it might be best to part ways, but I'm hoping I'm hoping that we're okay at head coach. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be it's going to, I think we mentioned it last week. Um, it's going to free up a lot of decision making by Ty Lue. It's going to free up a lot of decision making by Kobe Altman now that LeBron's gone and they they don't have to feel like they're walking on eggshells around him. Um, they can do they can coach. They're free to coach. We'll see. Like you said, we'll, it's a it's going to be a lot of development for our young guys. It's going to be a lot of development, maybe even for Coach Lou. Because he's going to be able to do what he wants, how he wants to do it, and you know, without having to have yeah. to worry about is LeBron happy, is he not unhappy, or whatever. So he's going to be able on his own. You know, he's going to be able to coach the team, free flow the team, and you know, like you said, trust these young guys, coach these young guys, develop these young guys, and let's see what we can do. Let's make that sixth. If we make the sixth, seventh, eighth position in the playoffs next year, I think that's going to be humongous. For not only not only for lose confidence for um, everybody on the team's Does, confidence and you know they can that they can still do it with without LeBron. Oh, definitely. Um, although I'd rather, honest to God, I'd rather us not see us make the playoffs just because our pick is top ten protected. So if we don't make the playoff, I'd rather us I'd rather see us get that top ten pick because at at this point in time asset we are in the asset acquiring stage so acquiring young assets at any point any way we can is the best way to go about it but no doubt i would still be excited that this cat hey this Cavs team made the playoffs you know and you know what we would have our pick i do believe we would still have our pick the following season so we it, it if it lasted for one season where we made the playoffs without LeBron and then we lost our pick, you know what? Oh, well, because, you know what? We did something that nobody expected us to do. And, you know what? That's always always seems to be Cleveland's MO. We always perform best when people least expect us to. Yes, and also, I think the better we play, the more likely we are to unload Kevin Love, unload Tristan, unload JR also. Exactly, which could potentially lead to – um, more losses than wins and acquiring those young assets that we need for the future. I agree. I agree. It's going to be a youth moment in Cleveland this, this winter. So, oh. it's, ex- it's an exciting time to be a Cleveland fan. As much as people are down about LeBron leaving, it is still an exciting time to be a Cleveland fan. I mean, these Indians, they're a potential World Series champion. And then these young Cavs, I mean, they got some moxie to them. And they could, they could develop into something special. Oh, I agree with you. It's going to be an exciting season at Progressive Field this second half of the season. 
going into the fall in the playoffs. It's going to be exciting next winter to see what the Cavs, how they perform post-LeBron the second time um, after yeah. being in the finals for the last four years. And then next we're going to talk about the young Browns who have maybe the most – this is the most excited I've seen the Browns fan base, legitimate excitement for a season that I can remember in probably – well, since they've come back. Oh, definitely. Best case scenario right now, eight wins. Um, worst case scenario, I'd say five wins. Vegas has if- them at four and a half wins over under, so take that to the bank. You heard it here first. Five wins. I, I, I agree with you. I think they're going to be between five and eight wins, and then barring injury, who knows? They do have a tough schedule, though, coming up with the the NFC South. So that, that's that's – that's the sad part about losing so much over the last few years is we always get stuck with a tough schedule, but the Browns made the moves that could potentially start turning this club around. And that's why I believe eight wins is best case scenario. I don't believe it's going to, I, I believe it's far less likely to happen, but you know, five, that's, and that's why I say five wins like is that's the floor for this team. And if they don't win five games, I'll be shocked. Honest to God, I will be shocked. I'll be shocked, and they'll probably be looking for a new head coach next year. So, More than likely. Yes. All right, let's talk a little Browns action with uh, Travis Stone, who covers the Cleveland Browns for at Ohio Sports Blog. He can be found on Twitter at Travis underscore Stone. 24. Um, Travis, the Browns are looking, I, I can tell you this, uh, it's probably the highest anticipation for an offseason, a realistic uh, optimism for a season that I can remember in Browns in recent history of the Browns. Um, the Vegas sits their over-under at 4.5. I'm thinking of taking the over on the wins there. What do you think? Oh, the over sounds good. Like you said, the anticipation and just everybody's excited, but the schedule this year is brutal. If they had last year's schedule, absolutely, the over would be a knockout of the park. But the schedule this year is brutal. I mean, you face the NFC South, which had three playoff teams. You get uh, – they get the Jets. The Jets are an improved defense. And for learning a new offense, it's going to be a rough stretch for them. But I, I would venture to probably take the over – Tyrod Taylor obviously improved things. You look at games last year they should have won where uh, Deshaun Kaiser turned the ball over late. I don't think Tyrod will make those mistakes, and that should translate to wins. That's one thing I do like about Tyrod Taylor. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot, and this is probably the best group of skill guys he'll have done, he'll had on his side in his entire career. Oh, you look last year. I mean, he had LaShawn McCoy. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin for half a year. Jordan Matthews really didn't play much. And Charles Clay. I mean, automatically you put Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry. That's better than he's had. Oh, for sure. And the running backs. The running backs, Duke. Duke's a threat to run it and catch it. And uh, Nick Chubb and Carlos Hyde are two guys who can pound it up in there and get you the tough yards when you need them. Also, i tell you one guy I really, really like is uh, David Njoku, the tight end. Oh, absolutely. His 
uh, progression from year one to year two ought to just be phenomenal. You look at rookie tight ends, and I was uh, going over a stat with uh, a guy on Bleacher Report, and he happened to mention that rookie tight ends generally struggle, and you look at Njoku's stats, and he did not struggle. It was just, uh, honestly, it was just bad quarterback play. Oh, yeah, the Browns have had bad quarterback play since 1999, essentially. But, um, yeah, I think uh, all the things are – every piece is set right now for the offense to have a pretty, pretty good year. I think the offense can be improved. They just have to find that one piece with Joe Thomas retiring. Um, talk a little bit about the battle for left tackle and what's going on there. Well, the left tackle battle really just seems to come down to second-round pick Austin Corbett and – Two years ago, third-round pick Sean Coleman. Both have college experience at left tackle, but none have NFL experience. So it's going to be a bumpy road. Uh, They did sign Greg Robinson, but from what I've been reading, it looks like Greg Robinson's going to try out at guard, which he was not even remotely a decent option at left tackle last year in Detroit. So really it comes down to Corbett and Coleman. Uh, there was talk of Batanio possibly moving out to left tackle, but that just – you listen to offensive line coach Bob Wiley, and that just doesn't seem like a possibility. You took Corbett in first pick of the second round for a reason. I expect to see him win the job, and he'll be out there week one. I like it. I think, I think the fans have to be patient with him because we had Joe there for 11 years, and – I mean, he was all all pro, all uh, Pro Bowl player for 11 years. The guy in five years is going to go to the Hall of Fame. Um, and I think it also helps Tyrod can make a few plays with his feet. So as Corbett's learning the position or whoever it is learning the position, Tyrod can help bail him out a little bit by moving around. And then he's got a great group of receivers like we talked about uh, to get the ball to. Now switching over to the defensive side, uh, we had a few free agent picks we picked up. Um, and talk about them helping move, improve our defense. Well, you'll, you'll start with Demarius Randall. Obviously, he's the free safety that Greg Williams wants. It will allow Jabril Peppers now to move to his natural position of strong safety, which later, as the year went on last year, you saw Jabril just really get comfortable at free safety. So now he has that flexibility to go back between positions. You have Derek Kendrick, who was – for two years has been one of the best run-stopping safeties in the NFL, so he's not going to give up the strong safety position easily. But then you go to the cornerback position, and it's just there's so many people just log-jammed that that's going to force Greg Williams to really have a good competition. Uh, You have Denzel Ward. You took fourth overall. I would expect him to start. You have Brian Body Calhoun, who's been one of the best slot corners. He'll be your slot corner. But then you got EJ Gaines, TJ Carey, Terrence Mitchell, all that can play the two. If you go by money, you'll probably see Carey start. EJ Gaines has familiarity with Greg Williams' defensive system. But then you throw in this week's supplemental draft and the Browns' interest in Sam Beal. If they take him, then you just add another piece, and it's it's going to be a good competition to watch this offseason. Greg's got his hands full. Yeah, it sounds like they added a lot of depth and a lot of playmakers in that defensive backfield, which really, really defensive backfield struggled last year. Um, I think 
Jabril Peppers, going back to Peppers, I think he's going to flourish in that strong safety position because that was pretty much a position that he played while at Michigan. And um, I think he's going to fill a role such as the Honey Badger fills for filled for uh, Arizona last year and will fill for uh, Houston this year. But um, go, transitioning from the defensive backfield to probably the strongest unit on that defense, that linebacking core with Schobert and Kirksey, uh, those guys can really play, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have Kirksey, who two years ago led the league in tackles. Jamie Collins is just – he's a chess piece you can put at so many different positions. Joe Schobert just made the Pro Bowl, and then you bring in Michael Kendricks, who started for the Eagles Super Bowl champs. So you have four linebacker spots, but you only have three starters. Um, I posted an article after Kendricks signed, and one of the things I mentioned was possibly – letting Jamie Collins play some defensive end, which he did in New England. He wasn't as successful as linebacker, but he has the versatility to play that position, and that would allow you to have Schobert, Kirksey, and uh, Kendricks as your three linebackers, and then Collins can play down on the line. And if you watched last year, Miles Garrett played a lot of inside on the defensive line, and he was productive at getting to the quarterback. So, again, Greg has a lot of versatility. It's just a matter of can he utilize it. Yeah, I think uh, with the way the league's going, and it's really a pass-happy league, you see guys throwing it, I mean, on average 30 times, getting up into 40 to 50 times sometimes. Um, Having that, as uh, the Giants, I think, called it when they won the Super Bowl, the NASCAR package, where you can kick Miles Garrett down the side and get that pass rush up the middle to the quarterback and have Jamie Collins on the outside. Um, I think that's going to be a good look for them, uh, especially second long third down situations where they can get some, get some sacks. Well, and that was uh, everybody's guessing with when they was selected to take Bradley Chubb at four was they would just kick Emmanuel Ogba inside and let him learn the defensive tackle and let Chubb, Garrett, and then when fourth or third down, second and long came, you went to the NASCAR package. But like Greg Williams and John Dorsey have said, Garrett and Ogba missed like at least 12 sacks between them last year just because the defensive backfield couldn't hold the pressure long enough and there was an opening for the quarterback. So, I understand why they took Ward. I understand why people want to chub, but I think in the end they made the right decision. I do too. I'm I wasn't a huge fan of Bradley Chubb. Um and I and but you watched Denzel Ward all year last year. He was he was a shutdown corner. He's got really long arms, can play. He's the number one corner, a guy that's gonna make a lot of money in this league because he can shut down that number one guy. And but, I think I think they made a great it was kind of a left field pick, um, if you look at it, but I, it was a need pick. It was a great pick for them, for the Browns, at number four. Well, and the biggest thing is, twice a year you have to face Antonio Brown and A.J. Green, and you need that shutdown corner in this league. For sure. And, and like you said, um, they just missed sacks last year because they couldn't hold the coverage. Now I think addressing that defensive backfield, they're going to be able to hold that coverage you know, one second, two seconds longer, which will allow Garrett and Agua and Collins and whoever else to get to the quarterback and make big plays. Oh, absolutely. And then I still 
I'm still beating the drum that they will sign Jonathan Hankins to fill up that void left by Danny Shelton. Um, there's a lot of talk that maybe he didn't want to sign until training camp so he could train on his own, which you'll see some players do. So I'm hoping maybe in the next couple of weeks they sign Hankins. He was one of the best run stoppers last year for the Colts. He's a former Buckeye. It, it makes sense. It's just a matter of does John Dorsey pull the trigger? Yeah, I think it, it would be a good um, – you see a lot of um, veteran defensive linemen, especially defensive linemen, uh, not hold out but wait to sign until later because they do – they train on their own and they just report to camp and uh, they're ready to go because, I mean, defensive line, to play on the inside of the NFL is, is not the most technique-based or uh, scheme-based thing. It's, it doesn't change a whole lot from team to team, so they know what they're doing and they can take care of their bodies and get ready to go for the regular season. Oh, absolutely. And then um, I know towards the end of their – OTAs, you saw that their third-round pick, Chad Thomas, who, again, can play inside and play outside on the defensive line, he's hurt. So that just I, – I feel that they will sign another defensive lineman before training camp. That's good. Got to add to that depth. I'll tell you, the Browns – the Browns are looking good with the um, – their defense being improved. Their offense is vastly improved skill-wise. And um, – you know, the division isn't as strong. You know, they have, there's Pittsburgh. There's always Pittsburgh sitting there with Big Ben and Antonio Brown and um, Le'Veon Bell. But then I don't believe the Bengals are as good as they have been. Um, and also the Baltimore's not as good as they have been. So the, the Browns are right, they're right there to win. You know, they I feel like their ceiling is 40. eight games. And I, I think they're going to win between probably four and eight games next year. Absolutely. But, I, again, at the end of the day, if they go eight and eight, Hugh Jackson may save his job. But if you go 6-10, and 10, I just think Dorsey just let Hugh Jackson stay on for one more year. I I can't see Hugh Jackson, Greg Williams, surviving this year unless they do go to that 8-8 eight and eight plateau. Yeah. Uh, that, and it's, like you said, it's going to be tough. they got the NFC South, which includes the Saints. I think they go to New Orleans the second week of the year. They open with Pittsburgh, go to the Saints the second week of the year, then have um, the Jets on Thursday night. I think week three. So that's going to be a tough schedule. And then you throw in Atlanta and then you throw in Carolina and Tampa Bay, you know, depending on where they're at, if Jameis is back or not. Um, that's all. That could always be a tough game for him. And I mean, and the Browns were one in 31 over the last two years. Who are we kidding? So every game is going to be a tough one for them. I think, but, um, I think the key is they have to start off two and one. They have to either beat Pittsburgh or New Orleans and they have to beat the Jets. If they start off 0 and three, I would be very surprised if Hugh Jackson survives that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm 100% agreeing with you. Um, that's a that'd be they need to start two and one. I believe they can get that. That Pittsburgh game is going to be good because all the anticipa- anticipation for the season, um, all the new players, that place is going to be packed. I'm going to be in attendance for that game already. Um, that's I mean it's just it's going to be wild. It's going to be like the old days with the tailgating. Everybody's going to be crazy ready for the Steelers opening week. And I think that game, that game's right there for the Browns to steal. If they steal that one, who knows? They, the momentum coming off of that one going down to New Orleans. Um, I mean, New Orleans could be in for a battle and then coming home for the Jets on Thursday night. That'll be crazy also if they're, they're 2-0, and 1-1 and going into that game. Well, you remember last year they started the youngest quarterback and they only lost to Pittsburgh 21-18 to week one. 
Then they had a shot to win that game, too. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, you go to New Orleans week two without Mark Ingram. That's going to be a different-looking offense. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's uh, – yeah, the, the key – you're correct on that. The key to the Browns is a fast start. If they can get out of the gate 2-1, um, and 3-0, and oh, something like that, uh, they could be on they could be on their way to to getting those eight wins and maybe you know who knows what the rest of the league does does but you know pipe dream they they backdoor their way into a wild card um, playoff and then you know this town will go crazy they'll probably build a statue Hugh Jackson oh if they start off three and oh they they will not be begging for Baker Mayfield to take the field they will be building a statue of oh yeah and that's in. I'd say that's gonna they're gonna be vastly improved this year on two on two fronts. One quarterback play, but two is, you know, they turned the ball over. I think Kaiser had twenty twenty some odd interceptions. Um they threw some through uh I think ten interceptions in the red zone, which is huge. I mean you gotta get points when you're in the red zone in the NFL. And they're gonna be vastly improved on defense, the defensive backfield especially. But those two areas are gonna be improved, which will equate to them getting some wins oh absolutely if you can like we talked about if Denzel Ward can give you that extra two three seconds of covering A.J. Green Dalton can hold the ball you get a sack that's a, that's a game changer right there oh for sure for sure you take away first options and yeah you can't those guys coming off the edge Miles Garrett Miles Garrett's a great player he's going to be a premier pass rusher in this league for some time and like you said, we get Jamie Collins to get down there on the defensive end. He's a great athlete, one of the best players on the team, you know, coming off the edge. Um, you know, those guys can get to the quarterback because somebody's – they can only double-team one of the guys, and one guy's going to get blocked by a right tackle. So, you know, those guys can get off the edge and get some pressure on the quarterback, make him throw some errant throws. Maybe we can get some of those interceptions this year and turn the games. Absolutely. Well – that's our Browns segment, and uh, we're looking real excited for the Browns coming up in the fall of 2018. I don't want to wish the summer away, but, you know, after July 4th happens, you know, you're in the dog days of the, the Indians are going to embark on the second half of the season. The Browns training camp is right around the corner with the preseason and the start of the season coming up. Uh, so we're all real excited for the Browns and the Indians stretch run here. I want to thank Travis Stone for jumping on with us, talking a little uh, – Little Browns today, and uh, thanks for coming on, Travis. Thank you for having me.